Well, good morning. Hopefully by now kids are getting going on all those different things. Um, and we're going to be continuing looking at Hebrews. You might want to get the Bible, have it open in front of you, but the verses will still come up on the screen. So if you lose your place or you don't have a Bible, it's fine. You don't need to worry this morning. We are continuing our series about holding on, not giving up. And this morning is about holding on to grace, holding on to grace. And we're going to journey through that as we go through this passage and land very much on holding on to grace. And with the writer here of Hebrews, he is he's giving us a reason after reason after reason after reason why we should not give up. So today he's talking about the high priest. But the main thing I want to be thinking about this morning is this truth. Okay. That there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can face today that Jesus is indifferent to or removed from or uncaring of or that you cannot receive help with and in from him. Whatever your difficulty you face, whether it's a relationship, whether it's finance, whether it's mental health, whether it's a health concern, whether you're feeling at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do, whether you're feeling your anxiety is out of control or you're overwhelmed by grief, whatever it is, the truth is that Jesus is not a not only able to be with you in it, but that he is active in it. Um, he may not take you out of it. We don't get a get out of life free card, as they say. Christians suffer along with everyone else in this broken world. We don't get a pass that we don't have that problem or that problem and that we can just skip along like nothing nothing ever affects us. We're struggling and stressed and pressured like everyone else. We have those same difficulties, but we have a difference that there is grace for us today. So we're sitting in the section of Hebrews where the dominant theme, as we've started with the kids, is the high priest. The writer already in chapter two, if you have it, verse 17, he has already said, for this reason, he, that is Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, service to God. Now, he had to be made fully like us. And we looked and we expand on that and Chris did a great job of talking about in our struggles, how did Jesus deal? How can we deal? Brilliant. But now he's risen and exalted in the heavenly realms. He remains our high priest. And today we're going to look at what this means. We're going to be focusing on three verses, 14, 15, 16 of chapter four that Becky read to us. And then the writer expands it when he gets into five. So we'll be dipping on there to see what he says as an expansion to it. So we're going to start, interestingly, in the middle verse, verse 15. It's the hinge for four, 14 and 16, and it sits nicely in the middle. And that's the one we're going to sit on first. So I'm going to read it again. And I want us to be thinking this morning, what does this mean for us today? It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not 
sin. Now, we know the writer said that Jesus was suffered and he was tempted in 2.18. So he can help us. He became fully human. He can be our representative. But here he says it again, but slightly different because he's really ramming home this, this truth to us. He's saying we don't have now. He said before, he said we do have now. He says we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. And we're going to look at that. Now, the Greek for this, I can't pronounce it. I don't speak Greek, but we're going to have a go. Dynamonon sympathize. Now, we can see straight away that that's where we get our word sympathize from, and that's why they've translated. But it's worth going deeper because this is a verb from the adjective to suffer. I don't know if you know that, to suffer. It's a compound word. In English, we might say co-suffer. He's our co-sufferer. Um, we look at the different translations. We're looking at the NIV UK, but if you look at normal MIV, we get the word empathize. The New Living Translation says understands. The King James, I love this version, touched with the feelings of. Touched with the feelings of. I really love that because that really gives um, this idea that Jesus suffers along with us. He's not distantly looking down from the heavens, oh, the poor people, feeling pity, but it is more that he is able to empathize. I was saying to a friend of mine, she's not she's not a believer, and she's saying, well, you know, what are you talking on Sunday? I said, I'm talking about empathy on steroids. This is Jesus for us. Our pain is his pain. We see the heart of Jesus towards us. He feels our suffering. It's the closest, I guess, we can get to feeling what Jesus feels. Is If you have someone you deeply love, and that could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could be a child, someone you are emotionally wrapped in, you engage with, when they hurt, we hurt. You know, when our loved one is crying, we cry because... For all intents and purposes, we feel such pain and agony. We desperately want to remove that from them, to take it, to carry it ourselves. And this is the sense of Jesus towards us. He wants to remove and carry our pain and he weeps with us in our suffering. He understands. It's more than just, yeah, I kind of experienced something like that once, you know, because empathy does go like that. If you if you chat with someone, tell them your story, whatever you're struggling with, and they've not experienced it, they go, well, I can feel that a bit. The closest I can get is this example. But imagine someone who has also had that. Their level of empathy is so much deeper to you. You know, you talk about, uh, I don't know, uh, my loved one abandoned me. You talk to someone who says, I've been there. They're crying, they're weeping with you. And this is the sense that Jesus has for us. And we he echoes these words. You know, Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy burdened and I'll give you rest. He's saying, come, I'm going to carry it with you. I'm going to co-suffer with you. And in the New Testament, we hear, cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares. He's crying. He's weeping with you. We, you know, we've got many uh, names for Jesus. We talked about that this morning, but high priest is really important. And it's not um something that we focus on very much I think we tend to go good shepherd or he's the light of the world these are all good but we need to know the high priest we need to Jesus is not indifferent or removed from our circumstances he feels it in the depth of his heart 
And um, when the writer here talks about it, he goes on to say, let's look, um, just going back to 15, he, he says, um, unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Weaknesses. I want to talk about that because the weaknesses can be, it's vast, it's frailty. It's when we lack the strength. I want you to understand that. When we lack the strength, um, in the, se- in the face of our suffering and calamity. That is when he understands us, he empathizes, he comes alongside us, he emotionally connects to us, he draws near, is in our weaknesses. When we lack the strength to go on and to, to, to be in that situation, when we are confused, Jesus is close. When we are in need, Jesus' heart is drawn to us. He feels that pain acutely. Um, in the Bible, we hear about uh, Paul when he says that we are hard pressed on every side. We are crushed. And he goes on and on and on. He says, you know, but we are not. And it's because of Christ. The high priest is there with him in it, pouring grace upon grace. When we feel pushed, downtrodden, um, you know, I know there's been times in my life when I've literally cried in the spare bedroom on the floor with um, a situation that I cannot deal with. I am lying down. I am done. And not only am I weak, I can't cope, but I'm cross and I'm angry and I'm raging at God and there's a spiral and I feel in that moment totally alone. And yet this passage says it is at those moments that Jesus lies next to us, that he is with us, that he is sobbing next to us. If only he could take us out of that situation to take our place. This is the sense that we have. And we read in here that Jesus, through it, did not sin. He remained faithful. And I want us to understand when he knows the cost of suffering, he knows the cost of being abandoned, he knows the cost of in all of that, that emotion, and yet not letting his heart turn in on himself, not giving in to sin. Uh, he is tempted and indeed tested in every way. And the every way is, um, it gives us a sense of excessively or with force. He was pushed just like we are. He was squashed. He was struggled. He was, you know, loads of stuff was going on in his life. And yet we read he did not sin. And it's really important this to try and understand what our reaction is in these moments and how Jesus is with us. Um, the other day we had those winds, didn't we? Do you remember we had high winds? It was a gale force. We took the sides of our trampoline down, but loads of people lost fence panels and stuff was flat on the ground. And it's that sort of sense that when we are in life, we're in hurricanes that are being thrown at us. We just want to lie down because, man, I can't cope with this. I cannot cope with this anymore. Um, and we lose... Uh, in those sessions, I'm just going to say I do, we lose that restraint. We lose that ability to see compassion for others because we're so consumed by our own stuff. We lose that ability to show grace to others 
and we snap and we get cross and we get angry and our family members and our work colleagues feel the force of this outpouring and we don't mean it. We don't set out thinking I'm going to be particularly horrible to people today. We don't mean to be insensitive. We don't mean to ignore people. But life is is pressured and difficult. But we have a high priest who's experienced all of that and yet did not sin. When he was on the cross at the most abandoned moment, when he felt that everything had gone, did he turn in on himself? No. He prayed for those who were persecuting him. He is our high priest who did not sin. His heart at no point went in and ours is constantly in. So let's go back to 14. That's just 15. That's just a test. Taster. Oh, my life running out of time this morning. There is so much to say and I will probably have to speak very fast. But 14, look back. It says, therefore, since we have a high priest who's ascended into the heaven, Jesus, son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And we see here that the writer's expanding on this idea of high priest. Again, we do we don't have to cautiously enter um, in any way. He's ascended to heaven and look down at 5.3. We're going to come to that in a minute. But we don't have to cautiously enter heaven. We can hold him because he's ascended into heaven. Um, This is not like he popped his head up. This is he is there. He is our pioneer. And he invites us um, and takes us in with him in the Greek, in that kind of way of thinking. It was the heavens. Jesus has gone through them all because he has the right to go through them all. He was perfect in every way. He remains perfect in every way. He goes in every part of heaven. He owns it. It's his. And he invites you in. He stands alongside you. He intercedes for you. He's solidarity. He shows to you. He pleads your cause. He grabs your hand. He takes you in. And it's not that he stands like this. You know, God, the father's on one side and you're on the other. And he's like a little bridge. But rather he puts them together and he puts your hands in the father's hands. And that is what he is doing today for you. In the cross, he enabled this. He says, the writer says here, 14, hold firmly to the faith. Hold firmly to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for the good, for the bad, for the ugly. He was there on the cross and he has ascended to heaven and he's holding you together with the Father and hold on to that. The writer saying, I know it's tough. And he's speaking to the Hebrews and he's saying, I know it's tough for you guys. I know that you're being persecuted. I know that people are rejecting you. I know you've lost your jobs. I know you've lost your houses. I know that people and family are against you. But hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the faith you've got because you have a perfect high priest who's with you. And he says that to us today. Hold on, hold on. I know your life is hard. I know that things are difficult for you now. I know that you might be feeling depressed. I know that you might have lost your job. I know that this is happening and I'm weeping with you and I'm with you. Hold on to me. Don't let go of me. Verse 16. Okay, hold on. We have a high priest who can sympathize with every area of our weakness. 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Confidence should be the characteristic of the Christian. I read that somewhere. I don't know where. I'm using it. I'm sorry, whoever it was. Confidence is the characteristic of a Christian. We can boldly go before our Father because we are in Christ. We can boldly go before the grace, throne of grace. And it's not just grace as in one, but it's plural. It's grace, it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. As Paul said in the New Testament, he said, sin abounds, grace abounds. It never stops. It's never run out. It's never exhausted. Whatever we need for our situation, Jesus is with us in it. He will help us in it. He may not take us out of it, but he will go through it with us. And the grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient because he loves us. He totally loves us. And we're going to go down just one more thing before we finish this morning. And I want us to go down um, to this high priest. Um, and it's verse two. It says he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Now, here we see that they're talking about a traditional high priest because they're human. They're able to understand. They can empathize our errors. Jesus, though, is superior. He empathizes on steroids with us, as I said. And what is it for our weaknesses? What does it say for those that are going astray? He says, ignorant and going astray. Here the writer's covering the two bits. He's covering the ignorant, the things you do wrong and you didn't intend to, but your life is hard and you've messed up again. You've upset that person and you know why you upset that person and you didn't mean to. And all you can do is say sorry. He understands. And equally, going astray. Those things that we do, we know are wrong and we made a conscious decision that day. I'm going to do that. But either way, does it say... Hmm, he's able to deal gently with those who, um, you know, didn't mean to do it. But those that did, he's really mean with. No, the deal gently is for all. It's all encompassing. He is able to deal gently. And this word gently, again, it's a big old world, metropo. Pathian, let's have it on the screen, deal gently. It's only used once in the New Testament. You can say that now. And it means a capacity to moderate one's feelings, to avoid extremes of cold indifference or uncontrolled sadness. It is the idea of forbearance. I'm going to read it one more time. A capacity to moderate one's feelings, to avoid extremes of cold indifference or uncontrolled sadness. It is the idea of forbearance. The high priest deals gently because he understands us. He deals gently because he's able to do so. He says, come to me, all who are weary. And what does Jesus gone say for I'm gentle? Gentle is a characteristic of God, for I am gentle. He's gentle because he suffers with us. He understands our weaknesses. He has the capacity to moderate his feeling, to choose to be gracious towards us, to choose to embrace us, to choose to die for us, for our sins we did willingly and those we didn't. He's 
he deals gently and he moderates that. He can choose to do it. He shows mercy to us because his heart is to restore the relationship. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what does that mean for me? You know, how can, what's the closest thing I can get to that? And the closest thing I could get was when my children are squabbling or they've done something wrong and it's chaos. I could explode. I could go mental on them. This is unacceptable. You have been terrible. Let me pour shame upon your head. Get to your room. I don't want to even see you. But my goal is not to punish. My goal is to restore the relationship. My goal is to deal gently, to come down in their brokenness, when they're angry and they're spitting and they're cross and to say, I love you. And I deal gently, not by saying what you did was fine. They already know it's not fine. You ever known yourself when you, you know, sometimes they, they, they know it's not fine. Sometimes they're ignorant. I'm dealing gently either way, aren't I? I'm teaching them. I'm saying, I wonder how that made that person feel. And they get a chance to empathize. I wonder if you could say sorry to that person. And I get a chance to reconcile my children's relationships. And the same with me. There's an opportunity for me to reconcile my children to me, to forgive them, not to destroy them. And this is the heart of God, to reconcile us to himself and to each other, to restore the relationship, to deal gently. And as church, we're told to deal gently with each other, to bear with one another, not to flirt the hand and say, how dare you, but to deal gently, to bear with one another, to be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Unlike the previous high priest, Jesus did not sin. He didn't have to offer sacrifices for others, but he did so himself. He offered himself on our behalf. As a human, he cried out to his father, but he still went ahead with it. Now, this is important because when Jesus suffered in our place, He suffered for the joy set before him. The joy was to reconcile us, to be able to deal gently with us, to understand us, to to cry with us, but ultimately to rescue us. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy was us us to be reconciled, for him to become the source of salvation. And we might get confused sometimes and think God is like some person sitting on a cloud who's, you have done wrong, you're terrible, right? You're going to be punished and you're going to be punished and you're the nice one, so you'll be okay. I'll be nice to you today, but I'm going to be horrible to you today. What does this passage tell us now? He deals gently with us all. His goal is reconcile. So when we're feeling, I've stuffed up, I feel guilty, I've ruined it again. Oh, why did I do that? Where can we go? To our high priest. When life is crushing us, where can we go? To our high priest. High priest. How do we go? 
confidence. Confidence because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He will never lie down. He will never give up. He has done it. He is our high priest. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are high priest. We thank you that you deal gently with us. All human beings you deal so gently with. Thank you that your goal is not to destroy, but to save. You came into this world not to condemn, but to save. To deal gently, to draw us into your loving arms. Thank you in any and every situation. We can know that you're not only with us, knowing our struggles, deeply understanding us, weeping with us, but that you give us grace in that situation. Grace upon grace upon grace. Not only to stand, but grace when we mess up when we lie down, when we can't, when we want to let go of you, your grace is there. And Jesus, we pray that this week we would know your grace in our situation. When we want to hit out at others, when we have messed up, we would go to you with confidence. Please help us to hold on to grace. Amen.